wow, y'all seem very awake tonight, which I appreciate. I love that. So are y'all ready for the word tonight? Awesome. Well, I'm excited to be with you guys, excited about what we're going to be talking about. So we, this is the last sermon in our What's the Big Deal sermon series. And who can raise your hand and remind me the topics that we've talked about the past two weeks? Okay, friendships. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah, particularly what within relationships? Dating. Right, non-believers, non-believers. There you guys go. And so tonight... The question that we're going to be tackling is, what's the big deal with having sex before marriage? All right, so yes, tonight's whole sermon, we're going to be talking about sex, but disclaimer, disclaimer, all right, not going to be graphic, all right, this is going to be PG, okay, and I, my heart is not intentionally to embarrass you guys, all right, y'all are older, junior high, they were troopers, they did good getting through this, but... My heart is not to embarrass y'all. I mean, after all, God created sex, so if there's any place that we should be able to talk about it, it's in church. Amen? All right. So with that being said, let's go ahead and pray so we can prepare our hearts, and then we will dive in. Well, Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come in this place right now, and I pray that I will decrease and that your words will come forth clearly tonight, Lord God, and I, I pray that you'll speak to each and every heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, tonight's sermon is going to, I don't think you guys are going to have a problem with this, all right? But it's very interactive, so I need you guys to help me preach. That means not talking to your neighbors, but when I ask you questions and stuff like that to respond with me, can you guys do that tonight? Yeah. Okay, great. And so to start off with this, I actually want to ask you a question, which we're going to answer via a poll. And the question is, do you believe that you should only have sex in the confines of marriage. Now we're doing this anonymously um, and via poll because I want you guys to honor answer as honestly as possible. All right. This question is: Do you believe this is true about your life? The majority of you guys said yes. All right, which is good. I'm very thankful for that. And so, what I want you guys to do now on your handout, there's a question: Why? But before you do that. All right, I want to paint a scenario for you guys that you're answering this question in, okay? Let's pretend that you have graduated from high school. Let's say you're a year removed, and you have been dating for the past year. You're, you're doing whatever you envision yourself doing. Maybe you're in college. Maybe you're in vocational. Maybe you're already in the workforce, and you have been dating the person of your dreams, okay? They are good-looking. They are funny. They are smart. They are creative. Whatever it is you are looking for, they are it. And that person comes to you and says, you know, I think it's time. We've been dating for a year. I think it's time we take our relationship to the next level and have sex. So in that context, I want you to answer on your handout. I want you to really write this out. Every compelling reason you can think of why, if you said sex needs to be safe for marriage, why you would tell that person, no, we need to wait, all right? Yeah, good, very good. Good answers, guys. Y'all did really good with that. So the reason that I wanted you guys to do this, because actually I had a youth leader do the exact same thing with me when I was a teenager, and it had a huge impact on me, because in that moment, I was only able to come up with a couple reasons 
and I kind of felt caught off guard, and it showed me that I really hadn't processed the issue through as much as I thought that I had. And um, I think the uh, foremost common answers, at least that I thought of, uh, that Christians will give to why they're not going to have sex outside of marriage fall into the four categories. And the problem, you can pop them up there, the problem with these four reasons is that all of them have loopholes, right? So if you want to have sex before marriage and not get pregnant, use birth control. If you want to have sex and not get an STD, guy uses a condom. Or better yet, don't have so sex with someone who has STDs, and then you're, <laughs> you're golden. There are tons of teenagers who have sex, and their parents never find out about it. But then the last one, the last one, I don't know, maybe it's shocking to you guys, um, saying that because the Bible says not to, I'm a Christian. Uh, let me, I say this in love, but if you think that that is the reason that is going to keep you from having sex before marriage, then you are deceived. And I say that because there are lots of things that the Bible tells us to do and not to do. Does that mean that we always obey what the Bible says perfectly? No. Let me give you an example. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. That is a command. Now, how many of you in the last week complained at least once? How many of you guys today have complained at least once? Yeah, all right, that is a command. Now, obviously, I understand that having sex outside of marriage requires a much higher level of intentional disobedience. It's much easier to slip up and complain than it is to have sex before marriage. But my point is just saying, okay, because the Bible says not to, therefore I'm not going to do it, is not enough in my opinion. You need to know why the Bible says to save sex for marriage. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in the rest of our time tonight. And for those of you who answered no in our poll, I have not forgotten about you. The rest of this sermon is for you as well as for everyone else. And real quick, I want to just point out the cross. Um, if you were here at the beginning of the year, um, we did a sermon series on the blood, and Pastor Stefan talked to you guys about how the cross is going to be central, not only in our preaching, but in everything we do here at 5979 this year. And so even though the sermon series is over, we've decided to leave the cross in here as a visual reminder for you guys of that truth and the principle that we're going to be walking out. And I say all that to say... The cross directly has something to say about this area, right? As Christians, Jesus, the gospel, is supposed to be the center of our lives. It touches and directly impacts every other area in our life. So friendships, the cross has something to say about your friendships, right? Your dating relationships, who you date, your sexuality, the cross directly impacts these areas. Jesus is Lord of every area of our lives, not just our ticket to heaven. Amen? Amen. All right, so just want to throw that out there. So now we're going to see what the Bible says. And in order to do that, we need to go all the way back to Genesis, since that's where God created marriage and sex. And it says, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his what? Joined to his, joined to his what? Joined to his what? All right. Joined to his wife and they shall become 
one flesh. So this is the first time wife is used. The word wife is used in the Bible, clearly establishing the principle that sex is only meant in the context of marriage between husband and wife. And this verse 24 is the verse on marriage. When Jesus and Paul teach on it in the New Testament, they refer back to this verse. And in this verse, the reason why sex is only allowed in marriage is given. Did you guys catch what it is? I'll go ahead and just give it to you. It says, when two people have sex, they become one. I actually had a junior hire say that. I was pretty impressed. See, becoming one through sex is so powerful that it is reserved exclusively for marriage. Now, I know that this becoming one thing isn't really that easy for us to understand. Uh, for you guys, most of y'all in this room, I'm assuming, have not had sex, and so you can't understand it from an experiential perspective, okay? But then also, there's the dynamic, while sex, yes, is physical, it is also, this becoming one is spiritual, and so that makes it a little hard to understand as well. When Sabrina and I got married, it took us about six months into our marriage before we really started to feel the oneness that sex created in our relationship. But just because we didn't feel it at first didn't mean it wasn't there. We became one the very first time we had sex after we got married. But it is also a process of becoming that. And, it, and so I say this because in a room this size, I love you guys, I think y'all are awesome, but chances are good, and the fact that even 20% of y'all said you don't think it needs to be safe for marriage, there's probably some of you in here who have already had sex, and you may think it wasn't a big deal because you don't feel that oneness. Well, you still feel separate, and you think it was just something that was physical, but just because you don't feel those consequences doesn't mean they aren't real and that they don't exist. So actually, uh, Mr. Devante, if you can help me out. Um, in weddings, uh, there are different ways that we represent the oneness that happens in marriage. And uh, the way that Sabrina and I chose to do this at our wedding was called a sand ceremony, all right? And so I kind of want to illustrate this for you guys, uh, roughly kind of what this looks like in a wedding. So I need uh, two volunteers, a guy and a girl. Okay, Marini. Joseph? All right, come on down. Don't worry, I'm not marrying you guys. This is just illustrative. Can you take that off for me? Thought about that. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Mr. Devante. So, go ahead and pour in about half of yours into this jar. Where? So, in a wedding ceremony, we have like a cute little box that Sabrina and I did. And so we poured it in there, and you don't do this in the wedding. This is not what happens, all right? So I'm just doing this for the purpose of the illustration. So, all right, all right. So now what I want you guys to do is to pour your sand back into your jar. Separate it back in there. That's impossible. It's impossible, really? Yeah, okay. This is a picture of what happens when the two become one. Two become one, and just like Marini said, it is impossible to undo that oneness once it's been done, right? When two become one, it's for real, and it is serious. So thank you, guys. Give her a hand for our volunteers. Y'all can have a seat. 
So whether you have sex before marriage or after marriage, that oneness happens regardless. And the, so because of this, the Bible says sex is intended only in the context of marriage because that bonding is so powerful and intimate that it should only happen, I love the words you guys said earlier, in a lifelong covenant relationship. That commitment is there when you get married. Before, it's not. Actually, the Hebrew word for join in Genesis 2.24 is a covenant word, showing that marriage is a covenant. Sex seals the covenant and is the reward for it. And if you have sex outside of marriage, unless you sever those relationships through an inner healing course like Breakthrough to Joy, they will be present with you the rest of your life. Right? And the more partners you've had, the longer and the harder it will be for you to get free of that. I think it would take a supernatural act of God, an intervention, to separate every single grain of sand back into its proper jar. So in the same way, Anything is possible with God through inner healing, through God's spirit. He can help you undo and heal from the oneness of having sex outside of marriage. But it takes God to do it. Amen? All right, you guys got quiet on me. All right, so, and some of you may be thinking, well, okay, well, what if I'm dating someone and then we have sex before marriage, but then we end up getting married? Everything's fine, right? No problem. Well, not exactly. Let me read a couple testimonies of people who did just that. Gretchen says, I told my husband I wanted to be a virgin on my wedding day, but he kept pushing the envelope and pushing my buttons and pushing his luck until he got lucky at my expense. Rather than recognize what was happening as disrespect and stopping him in his tracks, I eventually gave him what he wanted for fear of losing him if I didn't. Then I felt I had to marry him, otherwise I would have been damaged goods. Eighteen years later... I've still not been able to completely forgive him for stealing my dream and making me feel like a hypocrite. Looking at myself in the mirror, wearing white on my wedding day, made me want to cry. It's not just women, though. Gary wrote, when I took my wife out on our first date, I had no idea that sex was going to become part of the equation so quickly. I didn't see it coming, and by the time I did, she already had me firing on all cylinders. There was no stopping her or myself at that point. I got so hooked but I also grew to hate what I'd become, a sex-addicted man who'd abandoned all my moral values. Needless to say, trust and insecurities are big issues in our relationship, even after all these years. You see, what are some of the issues we see here, the, the consequences of having sex outside of marriage, even when you marry the person, right? We see guilt and shame. We see insecurities that are played upon. We see uh, trust issues. Uh, there's a couple, and I've seen this play out directly for them as well. They had sex before they got married, then they got married. And both of them have had not only suspicions, but accusations of the other person having an affair. Why? Because their foundation has a major crack in it. That trust has been severely damaged. Because if you're willing to get the benefits without the commitment, why would they be willing to do the same thing again even though they are committed to you, right? And so trust and, and all these different issues, it is such a big deal. Um, another passage I want to look at, it is so, so relevant to this, is 1 Corinthians 6. The, six, the Corinthian believers, they're a trip. And they thought sex was just physical. They thought there's no spiritual impact. 
So this led them to say, what's the big deal if we have sex with a prostitute? It's just physical. Now, having sex with a prostitute, that is a great example of having sex outside of marriage. Let's see how Paul responded to that. He said, for this, oh, no, not that one. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? All right, what he's saying there is that we are the body of Christ, right? When we are, are saved, our body, soul, spirit, it all belongs to Jesus. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Okay, so Paul, he, we see he quotes Genesis 2 right here, and then he uses the same language of that passage, the joining and all of that, to say that the, the becoming one that happens in sex is happening carelessly when you have sex with a prostitute, when you have sex outside of marriage. And the word join is a really fascinating. Both the Hebrew and the Greek, it means the same thing. In the Greek, the root word is kola, which means to glue or cement, right? So what is being uh, glued or cemented? Obviously, it's not our bodies because they come apart afterwards. It's our souls. Remember, the Corinthians said, you know, oh, sex is just physical. There's nothing spiritual about it. But Paul, in this passage, he constantly is weaving the spiritual reality and the physical reality, saying, no, guys, it is both. You become one, just like the sand right here. It has become one. And uh, let's, let's keep going because Paul's not done. He says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Right? He, he so powerfully points out here that sexual sin is unique. Right? There are other sins that harm our bodies, you know, but sexual sin is the only one that directly impacts your body and your soul in a profound way. And um, so he says here, the body and the spirit, they are involved. That's how you become one. And there's actually scientific evidence that backs up what Paul is saying. It's really cool stuff. There's a unique hormone that men and women release uh, when they have sex. And it makes them feel connected and want to stay with that person forever. In women, it's called oxytocin. And that's released uh, through gentle cuddling, but also in orgasm. Men have oxytocin too, but it's way less. The primary hormone for men is called vasopressin. And it's released when men have sex. And it has the same exact effect of oxytocin that makes you feel connected and want to stay with that person forever. You see, that is the way God designed our bodies to respond to sex, which reinforces his design for it to glue, cement husband and wife together to preserve the family unit. Pastor John's uh, booklet, we have copies. We'll, we'll bring them up later for you guys. Um, I have a whole stack of them. There's a bunch around the church. Sex, God loves it. That's where I've got some of this information. Um, and it's a great read. It has more information on these hormones as well as he has some really interesting studies on the negative effects of having sex outside of marriage as well. So, throwing a lot at you guys. So let's bring it back for a second. What's the big deal with having sex before marriage? 
Simply put, when two people have sex, they become one. They become bonded in their hormones. They get access to the most intimate parts of your body and your soul. And it is so powerful that God permits it only in a lifelong covenant relationship to protect us and preserve the family unit. I hope you guys are catching the heart of God in all of this because I think of it like a parent, right? When parents tell their kids, you know, don't put your finger in the light socket. Don't go play in the road. Don't put your hand on a hot oven. Is the parent trying to ruin the kid's fun? No. The parent is trying to what? Protect them so that they don't get hurt or die. If you go play in the road, you're going to die, right? And so in the same way, sex is amazing. God is a good father. It is a great gift that he wants us to enjoy in marriage, right? But if you do that outside of marriage, God knows that sin produces death. It will destroy you. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. When you do it God's way, man, you experience life and enjoyment and fulfillment in that and through that. And that's the way he designed it. So I hope you guys are catching that. So I want to close tonight um, one more thing by giving you guys a practical tip on how to live this out. Um, Because hopefully you see that God does command it, and more importantly, why he commands it now. But if you put yourself in temptation, I think there is still a good chance that you would fall into this, even knowing all this. So I want to encourage, plead, beg with you guys to adopt one boundary in your dating life, and that is never be alone in a private place, all right? This applies to you guys beyond college, right? Whether you're dating now, whether you're dating college, after college, this is a rule that I really think you guys should live by. Um, So to kind of help flesh this out, I'm going to give you guys a scenario, and then I want you to respond whether it's okay or not okay based on this boundary. So being with your date at your parents' house, but you're the only two there. Everyone else is gone. Is that okay or not okay? Not okay. All right. Being at your parents' house, but your, your family's home, everybody's awake, moving around. That's okay. All right. Being in your bedroom, just the two of you, door closed. Not okay. All right. Being in a car, uh, you're driving your date to your destination, wherever you're going for the evening. That's okay. That's okay. I, I understand it's a private place, but there's very little you can do when you're actively driving somewhere, okay? But being in a parked car late at night, abandoned parking lot. Oh, that was weak. Not okay. Not okay. All right. I think you guys get the gist of it. All right, come back to me. Come back to me. I'm glad you guys had fun with that. The thing I love about this boundary is that, to me, it just answers pretty much every other question you could have about boundaries, right? So if you're following this rule, can you hold hands in public? Sure. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, all right? Can you give her a kiss on the cheek? If you're in a public place, all right? You guys are interesting, all right? <laughs> if, if you are in a public place, I think you guys are good kids. I know y'all. You're not going to do anything crazy. Now, I do know there are teenagers, even in public places, and they do crazy 
things. Please, please do not be like those teens. You guys see them at school. You know how bad it looks, all right? Don't, don't be like that. Okay. And obviously, when it comes to boundaries, let me say, that, tell your neighbor, listen to your parents. Tell your neighbor, listen to your parents. All right, because don't go tell them, oh, Pastor Tony said, you know, we can do whatever we want as long as we're in a public place. No, no, no. All right. If your parents have specific rules for you, like don't hold hands or don't kiss on the lips. All right. Obey your parents. Follow those rules. Okay. But I can promise you guys from experience on this one that if you don't follow this rule, it is going to make walking in purity 1,000 times harder for you than it has to be, if not impossible, and you will regret it, right? So did I have sex before marriage? No, I didn't, but I definitely had regrets, and I wish that I had followed this rule, all right? And I want to speak to the men just here for a second. <clears throat> men, you guys are the head of the relationship, okay? You're the leader, all right? So I'm calling you right now to protect yourself and the girls that you are dating when that time comes by following this rule regardless, all right? If she says, in, all right, if she says, you know, oh, but let's go, you know, do this, let's go do that, all right, in love, shut her down. We're not doing it, all right? Protect yourself, do yourself a favor, and protect the girl that you are with, amen? Let me hear an amen from the fellas. All right. So one more time. What's the big deal with having sex before marriage? I want you guys to say it with me, all right? Let's pop it up there for them. It's on your handout, too. You guys should know it by now. There we go. When two people have sex, they become one. 